Welcome to Queer Icons, where we cover and discuss an important figure to the LGBT plus community and give our thoughts on why they resonate with our communities. My name is Matthew, and I believe sequins can be sporty. And I'm Nico, and I believe sequins aren't sporty. (laughs) (laughs) And this is our segue to a wonderful interaction we had earlier this week at the Florence of the Machine concert when I caught Matthew telling a story. Caught me. I caught you. (laughs) You overheard. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So you were describing these jackets that you and your husband have that are sequined. They're sequined before concerts. So what inspired even getting the jackets is we went to a Celine Dion concert and there was just so many sequins. And we felt we needed sequins for future concerts. Mm -hmm. And so that inspired me to get them. And if you look at them online, they're a very sporty jacket. Like, it's a jacket. It's like a sports jacket. Uh (laughs) It's like a fully sequined sports jacket. You have to picture if Liza Minnelli did sports, that's what she would wear. Yeah, And I called you out, and I was like, <laughs> only a gay man would really think that these sequin jackets are sporty. sporty. And uh, yes, it was a lovely moment. <laughs> and discussion about sequins. Yes. But... Over... And it was because I was wearing my shawl. You were wearing a sequin has, shawl. It has sequin tassels on it. Mm-hmm. So it was Which very... was beautiful. It was. Way. Oh, thank you. Yes. There was a guy behind us I did not realize was really enjoying it. Because I took it off. And then I put it on for... I forget what song she did. what Which song Florence did that encouraged me to put it back on. But... Almost any song. Almost any of them. <laughs> it, was more, it was warmer than I thought it was going to be. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So I put it back on, and I overheard this guy elbow his girlfriend and be like, he put it back on, he put it back on. (laughs) He was like behind us, probably smoking the wacky weed or something. Oh, you didn't tell me that. Oh, that's lovely. (laughs) (laughs) That is lovely. I was like, yes. So that was our last week. I'm glad we talked about it, because we mentioned it last week's episode that we were going. Yes. I was very excited, like the entire month. I yes. was just, like, waiting for that concert to happen. And it really did not disappoint. Although, I, I gotta say that my my favorite moment was a reaction to Florence rather than actual Florence. So, one of my old friends, and she was one of the lesbian girls that ushered me out into this world and <laughs> helped me come out and be secure with myself and all that. And that was, like, ten years ago. She was there, front line, like right in front of the stage, having a blast because I know how much she loves Florence. And at some point, Florence runs through the crowd and serenades this girl who is holding a lesbian pride flag. And in particular because the opener for Florence was King Princess. Who, who is who is a lesbian. Who is openly lesbian, and yes. she is amazing. Like, you should go check her out. Just pause the podcast, go listen to <laughs> King Princess Song. Let Us Die, I think, is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And then, I can't remember the other one, but Let Us Die is good enough. <laughs> so, as she is, as Florence is serenading this girl, she, like, 
drapes the pride flag, the lesbian pride flag, like on her arm and shoulder, and then continues to walk through the crowd as she's singing and going back into the stage. Now, we were all the way in the back in the lawn, so we mostly are looking at this interaction through, like, the big the screens. screens. Yeah. And I recognized my friend in the front row, just, like, in complete awe, jaw-dropping adoration, seeing her, like, idol draped with her pride flag, and just, like, singing it, like, in front of her, and I got goosebumps, I was feeling, like, immense amounts of, like, compersion, and, like, I was so happy for her, and and truly, that is what made the concert, and that's, um, just to, like, segue also in the importance of this podcast, how these icons, how these people, these artists, quite often in particular, inspire us and especially when they show support for our community it does mean a lot oh definitely to be seen to be acknowledged to be loved you know and i absolutely love that i love that moment yeah so much and yeah my second favorite moment was the sequin joke (laughs) (laughs) and florence was good mine was she was like this fairy vampire princess like, you know, running through the wind, working that stage like no other. Yeah, she uses that whole stage. And she did it the, the first time that we, we, we saw her. So I, I already expected it. And she did not disappoint. It, it was just a beautiful concert. Right. Great vibe, too, overall. Oh, yeah. Just That's like, good. Yeah. My favorite moment, or like, I don't know, my most memorable moment is she... Goes and, like, kind of hangs over the crowd, but, like, on their level. Mm-hmm. And she reached for somebody's hand, and they took it. And then she held this person's hand for the entire song, and it was stressing me out. Because <laughs> I didn't, I was like, all right, is the person holding onto her hand, and so she's just not letting go, or is she on purpose no, holding I, on I, the hand? No, it was the, the girl she was serenading. Mm-hmm. So it was like a song. For the whole song, but she was serenading a number of people. Because, like, there was a whole, like, little crowd around her. I don't know. Anyway. Yes, but, I mean, she mostly focused on that one girl. Yeah. For that song. I mean, okay. I would just do that. Yeah. I, I like you know. I remember concerts where Enrique Iglesias would, would bring someone on the stage so and just sing for them. Well, that's why you're not in the front row. You don't want to be chosen. <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> do. Serenaded. I would. I would prefer being like taken up on stage. That would make me like See, feel like more versus like being that, in that the crowd would with give me people anxiety being on the and, stage. Like, why wow, you don't have to do anything. Well, all of a sudden, I'll be very self-conscious about how, how I'm, like... many people are seeing you. Yes. That. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, in conclusion, sequins are sporty. <laughs> That's what we're getting out of this. Yes. Now, last weekend, we also went to an event held here in Atlanta, Shaka Khan Hacienda. Yes. I had not been in the new venue that they moved the... Uh, party in and it is amazing because it's these like train yards i think it was well no it was a it was a factory of factory. some sort it, yeah. it was on the it, uh, the a train tracks mm-hmm. at some point and so there probably was like way long time ago 
like direct drop off there. I see. Kind of like with the Pont City Market. Mm-hmm. They also had, you know, the back part where the trail is, where yes. the trail crosses it. Yes. That whole little place right there was actually where like product came in and out, okay, and it that was makes on sense. it was on rail cars. Okay. Well. So anyway. So still, yeah. it's like. Yes. A yard for. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, I absolutely love the new venue because it gave them so much more space. They were able to have all these vendors for food and drinks, and it gathers, like, uh, a very interesting, like, queer-friendly crowd. Yeah, cross-section. But it's not exclusively queer. It's extremely diverse as well. And I absolutely love that because, you know, I I feel sometimes that... Atlanta can be quite segregated when it comes to, like, partying and having fun. Like, right. the straights go to these clubs, the gays go to the other clubs, and that's it. Right. <laughs> you know, there's not that much of, like, well, like it. it definitely at least quadrupled their space. Yeah. Maybe oh. even more. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But I like it because it is now closer to my house. Yeah, it's just, it is far further away from the, from my house from their their original location, but it's okay. I'll take it. I right. I still I still had a blast. I was wearing my like shawl that I was like twirling right. around, and it was lovely. Yeah, and I'm really so glad that fun. they kept it a free event. I mean, you have to pay for your drinks or whatever, but not like you don't have to pay for entry. So yes, and I think that's also like enhances the inclusivity. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like it gathers a lot of people that would normally not go to like big paying like events like that. Mm-hmm. So I I think it's like lovely, and it was the last one of the season. I'm looking forward to what they're gonna do in the future. Yeah, next season. Yeah, fun. Hopefully, they will remain in that location. I think it is a good spot for them. Mm-hmm. I agree. And my little life update is we went to a porn film festival on <laughs> Saturday night. I mean, film festival is a little that's that's more grandiose than it really was. I think there is an actual hump film festival like in New York or something that he does, but this is more like. A showcase? Um, yeah, a showcase. It's like they were the max amount of time they could be is five minutes. Mm-hmm. And he compiled them. I guess these are probably like the winners or whatever. And it's Dan Savage who does it. And he compiles them in like an hour and a half ish, okay. like, you know, film. And they're like short porn stories where some of them are humorous and some are just like plain erotic and some are adventurous or extreme to what most people. Mm-hmm. would think so and it was really interesting and it had a good flow like it would be a more daring one if you'll say or like kind of more kink related one and then he would do like a humorous one where just it would to take, like, cool yeah. you off yes <laughs> 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 to bring you back from oh i don't know about this <laughs> so anyway <laughs> you guys should check it out it's by it's a dan savage thing it's called hump film festival and I think it's playing in theaters kind of around the country. I don't know, like, if there was one specific date they all played or if it's mm-hmm. kind of doing it differently. I wonder uh, if some of those, these movies are actually streaming or you can... You, I think more. you can buy a streaming ticket. Okay. And I, and maybe that gives you more access to other, like, videos. I don't know. Mm, I haven't looked it up. 
We'll have to see. <laughs> you guys, make sure to check us out on Instagram at Queer Icons Podcast, and you can DM us there with any questions or concerns or any tidbits we leave off, or if you have any personal stories about any of the icons we cover, want to throw suggestions at us, we are always open. So just come check us out at Queer Icons Podcast on Instagram, or you can email us at QueerIconsPodcast at gmail.com. This week, we are covering... You're going to have to say your name, because I'm not sure. Oh, Gia Karanji. Karanji. Okay. Yes. That's what I didn't know how to Italian. say. Italian. <laughs> so, it, she was actually just like Madonna or Cher, known mostly as Gia. Gia. Professionally. And she was this huge supermodel in the late 70s, early 80s. Mm-hmm. And did you have any prior knowledge of her? I had none. Zero. <laughs> Zero. When I texted you, you that we are, it. I was like, okay, doing Gia for today. <laughs> no idea. Okay, no. I'm glad that you you have faith in me to <laughs> go. Oh, I do. Board. I mean, there's been a couple that we've done that I just had no like previous knowledge of. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I first knew about learn about Gia through the famous HBO movie and the in '98. Starring Angelina Jolie. I was obviously way too young for the subject matter. I think I watched it though like a couple of years after it came out. Right. Uh, but it did have a, a strong impact on me, especially about drug abuse and then how artificial the flashy modeling world was. And you know, because this was like the end of the nineties when the when the movie came out. And it was also kind of like conclusion of the big supermodel era that you got throughout like the 80s and, and 90s. And then my mother talked to me a little bit about Gia and how tragic her life was, which obviously I had just seen the movie. So that was <laughs> <laughs> leaving me distraught. <laughs> it was It was pretty sad. And, you know, we're just going to... Jump really into uh, yeah. This is definitely a hard topic. I got through like a little bit of research, and I texted you, and I was like, "Well, this is going to be a dark episode." (laughs) Yes, (laughs) yes, it it definitely. Out of I think most people that we really research for the podcast, I I think definitely she takes the first place for tragic stories for sure. You know, burning too fast, too quick. You know, and which was is definitely a shame, but yeah, she because she had a very promising career, like loads of success, and truly influenced the fashion and style industry of the eighties. But you know, she also had a very edgy and tough personality, an attitude that it was truly what set her apart from her colleagues, yet also proved to be part of her downfall, and that's truly what we're gonna see. Yes, because you were supposed to mention that she was one of the first supermodels, but you skipped over that (laughs) sentence. (laughs) It's because I mentioned it earlier. Anyway, (laughs) so I always learned that 
Janice Dickinson was the first supermodel, but that's according to her. Yes. So Jan- <laughs> I mean, there are several women that claim to be that claim the first be... supermodel. Yes. And Janice is definitely one of them. And Janice was actually, she collaborated with Gia in photo shoots and stuff mm-hmm. because they were contemporaries. And, you know, we also have models like Iman or even Twiggy, you know, if if we go there. And, you know, I do I do believe that we're several supermodels kind of like emerging around the same time. And maybe they were touching people in different countries, like different at different paces. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's it like coincides, I mean, kind of with like Armani and Versace kind of like up uprising too, like, you know, becoming the big fashion houses that they were. Mm-hmm. And I think just a lot of the models that they used early became yes. like big names. Definitely. Definitely. Now she was born Gia Marie Karanji in Philadelphia on January twenty ninth, nineteen sixty. She had two older brothers. Her father, a restaurant owner, was Italian while her mother was Welsh and Irish. Her parents' violent and abusive marriage led to her mother abandoning the family when Gia was 11. This unstable upbringing seems to have left Gia with a need for motherly affection and attention, which is something very important that we're going to really see for the rest of her life, that Mm -hmm. this childhood trauma kept, like, resurging, and a lot of her friends would actually blame her upbringing for her drug abuse and in contrast her mother would blame her contemporaries her friends uh, her friends for enabling her to use drugs so and, and the research I didn't one really can feed find. the other they uh, can both be involved yes they, they can both be <laughs> now as a teenager gia started befriending girls and bonding with a group of david bowie obsessed fans which of course, who who would not bond with David Bowie obsessed like group? I mean, I'm sure they looked fabulous. That is who I would. <laughs> that is, if there had been a David Bowie group in my high school, I would have flocked to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they really emulated this high glam, unusual style that he was exuding, and Gia was drawn to his gender play and bisexuality. She even adopted a more tomboy persona being open about her sexuality. And that seemed to be, like, the one stable thing that she knew about at her Mm. young age. Because at some point, her mother did find a love letter when that Gia wrote for one of her girlfriends. And she sent her to a therapist about it. And the therapist told her that that's perfectly normal. Good. And I I, I like that little segment (laughs) in the research. (laughs) So... Yeah, and she ended up hanging out at gay bars with her friends, and yet she wasn't fully immersing herself in the conventional lesbian style of the time, but she was figuring herself out. Now, in the summer of 19... I would love to know what the conventional lesbian style of the time was. I think, like, the look of what a lesbian should look like. I'll have to look up 1970s lesbians. I I I don't know what they look like. That's... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I guess you can Google that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, a local photographer, Maurice Tannenbaum, asked her to pose for him after spotting her on the dance floor at a nightclub. And the photos were truly instrumental to her finding the opportunity to move to New York City and pursue modeling. 
he introduced her to Wilhelmina Cooper. They had a previous connection with another uh, model that was friends with her and saw this picture and she was like, gotta send her to Wilhelmina. And Wilhelmina was a prior model and she had gone on to establish Wilhelmina Models Agency and it was a powerhouse, especially at the time. And she was so excited when she met Gia that she even forgot to hand her a contract and then she had to like send her assistant to run after her to deliver it. Apparently, because <laughs> it was like such a good interaction, impression, and interaction right. about it, and uh, you know, find out that Cooper had an adept eye for working with unconventional beauties for the time, and in particular, women of color. I found out that they were not very popular. Okay, and so she took Gia under her wing and convinced her, convinced the fashion clients to give a chance to her. Because she looked too ethnic at the time for them. Because she was Italian. And it was in complete contrast to the blonde, all-American girls the industry preferred at the time, like Chrissy Blink- Brinkley. Right. You know, the... Midwestern sort of, blonde yes. hair. Yeah. So her smoldering, dark looks were truly a hit. And famous fashion photographer Chris von Guggenheim collaborated with Gia in 78 for her very first major shoot. And after the shoot, she was asked to be naked behind a chain link fence accompanied by makeup artist Sandy Littner. And it is an amazing photo shoot that was beautifully illustrated also in the Jolie movie Gia. I I remember Mm -hmm. that moment very well. And that also resulted in Gia becoming infatuated with Lintner, but they never really had a stable relationship, as Linter identifies as heterosexual. So it was so romantic. Go after straight girls too. I know, and it it really <laughs> did seem that 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 was more of a frequent occasion. Yeah. For for her. Now. By the end of the year, Gia's versatility with the camera, whether it was a sophisticated look or wild, it truly established her in the the industry having this meteoric rise and working with very talented people in the fashion and art world. Photographers included Helmut Newton, Richard Avedon, Arthur Elgord, and Francesco Scavullo. And even herself did say in interviews that she was able to work with really good people, like, almost immediately. Yeah, she started collaborating, like, mm-hmm. right away. And she said, it, it was weird. I didn't, like, become a model. Become a model. I suddenly just was one. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it was it was really strange. But you know what? She was the it girl. And she was discovered. And right. Wilhelmina really took that risk on her, and it, it paid off. Now, Gia was dominating the fashion world by 1980. She graced the cover of multiple leading fashion magazines such as British, Italian, and American Vogue, and even Cosmopolitan, several covers, while also appearing in advertising campaigns for fashion houses such as Christian Dior, Armani, Versace, and Yves Saint Laurent. And she was also in a Blondie music video for Atomic. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> I've seen I've seen that music video. It's great. And I did not actually recognize that that was Gia dancing in it. So, yes. <laughs> and we also find out that at 
At the time, Gia epitomized the style of lesbian chic. She was open about her sexual orientation and had a boyish attitude in real life. She even dressed more masculine when off camera, like jeans and cowboy boots, instead of all these designer dresses that other models preferred. And she truly played with androgyny. In front of the camera, she emulated a relaxed, cool, yet vulnerable attitude that was very attractive and came off as a punk, new wave rocker, butch pen, pen-up girl. And I, I just love these descriptors of her because then looking at the photo shoots, I was like, I, I see it. I yeah, you see all see those, it. these and looks. I, and I see like the difference in her body language than the other models, the other girls. And that's truly what set her apart. Now, Karanji was often known to carry a knife with her, and she once reportedly announced herself at the Vilamina modeling agency by carving her name into the receptionist's desk with her like switchblade. That's what So that much. gives it, it she, has like a, she had an edge. She, she has a tinge for the drama. <laughs> yes. A flair uh, what is that? A flair for the drama? A flair for the dramatic. Yeah. That's what there we, we go. Yes. <laughs> and her personal life, Gio was notorious for easily attracting female attention and taking many beautiful women as lovers. Yet she herself was craving more of a stable, secure, and sustained relationship. She seemed to fall in love hard and fast, seeking companionship and someone to take care of her. Though she did have relationships with men, it is largely understood that her primary sexual and emotional relationships were with women. Now, we we truly do see, I, I suppose, the absent care that she had in like such a formative years of her life right and then just spending so much time and effort and energy and like jumping the gun in every opportunity that you will get attention and hopes that someone will take care of you right now when Wilhelmina Cooper who was her mentor mother figure and friend died in the spring of 1980 Gia was devastated and she began using drugs and got addicted to heroin. She frequently partied at Studio 54 and the Mud Club, where she used cocaine. And apparently the Mud Club, from my research, was also very notoriously used by drug users. Yeah. Sadly, this addiction led to violent temper tantrums, abandoning photo shoots, still in the designer clothes, just to go score drugs falling asleep during work, and crying when she couldn't find her drugs. Some of her needle marks were visible and had to be retouched and airbrushed in her photos. For a while, her rebellious behavior was tolerated, as drugs were not uncommon in that world. Yeah, it's like the famous people in the 80s and 90s just really did use a lot of drugs. I mean... If you read about, like, the Viper Room in the 90s so much, and it generally was heroin, which I think, like, definitely scared, I mean, scared me, Mm -hmm. uh, because it just seems like such an extreme drug. I was looking up, when I saw this, I was just, like, looking up, like, who, like, the people that were on heroin, and it's, like, Jimi Hendrix and River Phoenix and Kurt Cobain, and even, um... Carrie Fisher mm-hmm. was like a known heroin user. It was so prevalent, and it also it destroyed your life a lot of times. So. Yeah, it really did. 
It was insane. It is, it is indeed a very destructive substance. And just, you know, li- listening to the stories in, like, the documentaries or, like, interviews about her, her, her use and what she was doing in her work and among her friends. And, and you do really see the, the, the destruction and the path that she was heading down. Right. Now, towards the end of 1980, we see a steep decline in her career. She left Wilhelmina Models to sign with Ford Models, only to be let go a few weeks later. Job offers were ceasing, and industry friends were distancing themselves from her, including Sandy Littner, in fear that their careers would be harmed by associating themselves with Gia. In the spring of 1980, her friend and photographer Chris von Wangenheim died in a car accident, resulting to even further grief after the loss of Wilhelmina. So we also do see that she was quite unlucky. And that is something that I listened to in the interviews that a lot of models, a lot of people in that industry were using drugs. But... In Gia's case, she also happened to be very unlucky in right. circumstances that right. brought her in. And being like so depressed that it just fed into yes. the whole thing. And then she would even visit infamous shooting galleries in Lower East Side Manhattan, which was then a dangerous neighborhood with drug dens where people could buy heroin, a shared needle, and a room to shoot up and phase out. In 1980, she returned to Philadelphia in an attempt to get clean and detox, but was arrested after driving into a fence and then later being chased by the police while under the influence of cocaine and alcohol. Later that year, after working sporadically, mostly in Europe, apparently she was still finding a lot of work in Germany, she wanted to make a comeback and signed with Elite Model Management. And this is where it turns to the conversation that Elite was giving her a chance, fully knowing that she was an addict. Right. But they were, we're still going to use whatever popularity and you momentum have left. left she has to... So I guess it, it's, a, it's a little bit of a gray area, I feel... Right, where they were not providing help no. for the problem, but were using her like a product for whatever last little bit of money she could make them. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and some clients were still willing to hire her due to her previous status. And Scavulu photographed her for the cover of April 1982 Cosmopolitan, which has become now her last one in the American in an American publication. And she's awkwardly posed in a formal dress. Her face is angled in a way to disguise the bloating caused by the drugs. And her hands behind that were behind her to hide the needle marks. And I was just reading an interview of one of Scavula's assistant and describing that you know, the light, the light had gone out of her eyes. Like, it was very, very different Gia than when she started. And we do see that the timeline, it is so tight. It is so short from when she first started into the scene to now. Yeah, it's only like five or six years. No, this, this was three years in. 
No, well, she started in 78, right? Four years. Yeah, okay. Four years in, and this huge difference. Now, photographer Albert Watson later worked with her, and she did find some work modeling for catalogs and department stores, even appearing in the Richard Avedon ad campaign for Versace. So this is that Cosmopolitan. Correct. Yeah. Photographer, by the end of 1982, she had very few clients willing to hire her. And even though she enrolled in an outpatient methadone program, she began using heroin again. Her last photo shoot was for Otto Versant in Tunisia, where she was sent home during work for using heroin. So this is where, like, also the... The, the management company, I also think they were to blame because they knew she had a problem. They were still hiring her. And then uh, they could just drop her off because they had uh, apparently a clause in their contract that no drugs were allowed. But they, they knowingly had hired her. So that's where I'm like, mm, it's not very... Right. It's not the most ethical. Ethical. That is the word I was looking for. (laughs) Now, having spent most of her modeling money on drugs, she spent her last years with lovers, friends, and family members in Philadelphia and Atlantic City. She was admitted for drug treatment in December 1984 and was able to work after in a clothing store, later in a cafeteria of a nursing home. Yet by late 1985, she was using drugs once again and had become a sex worker in Atlantic City. In December of that year, she was admitted to a hospital in Pennsylvania with pneumonia and a few days later was also diagnosed with AIDS-related complex. It came to no surprise to her as the epidemic had already hit the fashion world and she was aware what her future was. In the fall of 1986, he was hospitalized again after being found on the streets beaten and raped. On the 18th of November that year, Gia died from AIDS-related complications at the young age of 26. Nobody from the fashion world attended her funeral. Her family kept her death private while they were coping with her loss, while her mother had restricted who was allowed to visit Gia in the hospital. So we do see at the end of her life, her mother became more and more of a attentive figure. And, and especially while in the hospital, I mean, protecting her, because probably the people she would have invited would probably would have been the people that were giving her drugs or providing her I drugs. I don't know necessarily if that would have been the case, but I mean, also friends that she had from the interviews that... I saw it, it was friends that they were not part of the drug world. Right. You know, and, you know, especially the last week of her life, no one but her mother was able to see, see her. her. She filled her room with yellow roses, which was apparently Gia's favorite, and then just had private time with her. And we later saw in interviews that Gia's mom had to also go through therapy with, you know, having lost a child, and then started talking in TV shows more about the loss and bringing AIDS awareness to the public. 
Because you have to think that up until that point, it was almost unheard of for a woman, for woman yeah. to die of AIDS. So Gia was one of the first big-name women to to perish. Now, well, even now, it's still largely seen as a gay disease. Quite. Um, yeah. If you talk to straight people, they almost still have no knowledge of HIV other than it exists. Yes, because they're not concerned. Uh, yeah, they with consider any of their that activities. it's now part of their world. Right. Yes. Yeah. Now, Stephen Freed published a biography on GI in '93, titled "A Thing of Beauty." That's where I did get a lot of the information from. Also, the '98 HBO movie Gia with Angelina Jolie. It is incredible. She won a bunch of awards for her captivating performance. It really just put her on the map when it comes to like her film career, I believe. And it wasn't gone in sixty seconds. That no, that came in later. Did, I thought it came in in ninety six, or it was the same year, ninety eight. No, gone in sixty seconds was later. It was a thousand. You're right, two thousand. Yeah, I'm right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As I'm sipping my water. Uh huh. Feeling gloating about being correct. (laughs) (laughs) Also, J.J. Martin did a documentary in 2003 called An American Girl, The Self-Destruction of Gia. And, uh, you know, she's, she's really not forgotten. I do think that a lot of people have an obsession with these tragic passings. Just, you know, think of like Marilyn Monroe, like, you know, Gone Too Soon these tragic beauties and right. Gia, unfortunately she takes that box as well. So I think her story though, it is quite important to be told and it serves as, as a lesson for sure, right. for sure. And definitely one of the biggest beauties to ever grace the, the modeling and the fashion world, the woman was stunning. Right, for sure. definitely. And looking at those pictures is insane. Yes. What was your favorite thing that you learned about Gia this week? You know, just how unapologetically she lived her life so openly. And then that's something that I noticed that she was very much a chameleon. She was like a great actress in front of the camera. And she was projecting through her face, her body language the fantasy and the the requirements of the photo shoot. And as also an artist, I was able to just see the change in the footage. And then also when the photographers were talking about it, and I was like, oh my God, I can see it. And like, it was such a subtle enough, but it was so effective. And I just loved that. Like that she was able to do that. And it only makes it even more tragic thinking all the things that she could accomplish right because she did have dreams she actually had enrolled to school to take cinematography classes she wanted to be a photographer uh yet like the fast-paced modeling you know world was just not allowing her and and of course the drug abuse right (laughs) to accomplish her goals now what about you 
this one was really hard for me. Every time I went to do research, I just kept finding out more depressing information, mm-hmm. including her childhood, the drug use, the, you know, the HIV, the, you know, everything. <laughs> and just the overuse of drugs and the drug addiction can really, like, alter your life and not cause you to not meet your potential. And unfortunately, she is one of those stories. I read an article that her parents were on a, on a, in an unhealthy, abusive relationship, which we kind of talked about, mm-hmm. and that many of her friends, like you said, attribute her desire to escape with drugs on this childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. And one thing I did, I loved that for at least a brief time, she was able to kind of overcome that experience and live a more charmed life, even if it was just for a short period. And really, I just felt like so intensely for her. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, like, just reading the good things about her, the way she dressed in her personal style and her love of David Bowie and, like you said, the way she could be a chameleon in front of the camera, Mm -hmm. it just, it really, it it made her feel like she could be one of my friends, but then everything else just kept piling on and piling on. True. And, and, you know, we do see that, you know, you, you, you bring this broken person that into a world where there's a lot of attention and a lot of money right and access to anything you you want really absolutely so that's why she was burning out about it because you know she had tried things in her teen years during the that partying right but it wasn't until she had her own money that, you know, was a lot as a supermodel and way too fast. Right. Learning that. <laughs> she went from no money until all the money. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, whenever she talked to her family, apparently they were not understanding that she needed help while she was mm-hmm. alone in New York, that she needed someone to guide her to be her companion. And, you know, this is sadly what happened. Uh you know, but of course, hindsight is twenty twenty now. It, it is quite regrettable that right. she was left in her own devices, and they were unfortunately very self-destructive. What themes did we see emerging that are important to the LGBT community? So, I mean, I did see like a lot of patterns that were still very prevalent in gay youth, because we have to think that she was very young. Oh, yes. She was extremely young doing all this. And the the drug use, the sex work, and the, the, the need for sex work in order to procure drugs, that is a big thing in the community. And also being, being homeless, you know, not really having a stable place that you can live in. Um, and then, you know, lack of mental health. All these things are... Mental services, yeah. Mental, yeah. Services, that's what I meant. And all these things are plaguing our community. And I do remember coming to Atlanta in in my early 20s, and I did meet several kids that, you know, we just see them out in the clubs and we just have a conversation. And they were in very similar circumstances where it was heavily implied that they were prostituting themselves in in order to right. get whatever drugs and whatnot, or they I... would stay in houses with more affluent people. 
that were like pimping them or even pimping them. I remember hearing a story, or not reading a story in one of the gay publications here in Atlanta about a man who was a dancer at the old BJ Roosters before it moved. And he was basically keeping two boys in his closet for sexual... To He was giving them drugs, providing them a place to stay, basically, but in his closet. Because he, he wasn't that rich, and also pimping them out. And he was like, a dancer himself? Yeah. Oh. Mm. Right. It was, it was a crazy story. Yeah, that does sound very crazy. Yeah, and he ended. I assume. I mean, the story came out because he got arrested for this in particular behavior. So, hopefully, well, hopefully, I don't remember how it went down, but hopefully, he, you're giving us half story. I know. We will have to look it up <laughs> to be continued in 2023. Yes, and <laughs> I, you know, I distinctly remember, you know, someone. I was a friendly acquaintance to this kid. You know, I had given him my phone number, but I kept my distance because. He was using drugs, and I had no resources to really help him out, but he he was in that similar situation where his family was too conservative and religious, and they had rejected him. And cut him and off. I think he was either from South Carolina or Tennessee, was one mm-hmm. of those, had moved to Atlanta trying to find a better life, and then when I met him, I was like, I you cannot stay with me, but, you know, you can go to this organization and they do help gay youth. And they were able to house him for a short time, but he could not stay there because he was still using. Mm-hmm. And they needed that area because they had a lot of recovering addicts to be drug free. And so, sadly, I found out through a publication and I recognized that it was him because he had also stopped responding to texts that he died from an overdose because hmm. he he couldn't get clean. And these are the stories that really just shake shake you to your core. Right. And it, it was such a such a pity. It was such a young kid, eighteen maybe. Right, having all the possibility in the world. Yeah, for sure. Besides. So I did look up a couple because I was recognizing the themes of our <laughs> talk today. Mm-hmm. So I did look up a couple resources. They probably can't provide you everything, but if you do need them, please give them a call. The first one is the National Domestic Violence Hotline, and that's 1-800-799-7233. Give that a call if you need to if you have if you suspect or if you feel like you're in an abusive situation that you need to get out of mm-hmm. the second one is the substance abuse and mental health services administration's phone number it's a national helpline and it is 1-800-662-HELP or 1-800-662-4357 or you can go to findtreatment.gov and that will provide some resources for any substance abuse so that's definitely something to look into if you need to. Yes. Uh, and then on kind of another sad note, this is our official last episode of 2022. Do you have any ideas for our batch in 2023? I have several ideas yeah. of what we could do. 
And I, I really did enjoy the theme of just choosing a decade and then getting people from that decade. Then I realized that, you know, three out of the five people that we covered died from AIDS-related. Right. So maybe go through a different decade. <laughs> I think the 90s but... would also be a little... Because, I mean, it, the it, it was... The epidemic went into the nineties. Uh, it, it wasn't true, until true. the mid nineties where the drugs started getting yes. like better and and people started living longer than five years with For this sure. disease. For sure. So then that got me thinking. I was like, well, you know, but people died from different diseases and epidemics, like in any any decade. So maybe switch it up and do something about specific professions. Right. Yeah. Career paths. And (laughs) yeah. So, you know, what about you? There's always, we have a few, we can also find kind of more, more obscure themes that Mm -hmm. will tie in together where we can cover people of different professions instead of having to do all actors or all yeah. singers or anything like that. Yeah. And my, but and we I've, can do looser themes. Yeah. Because I think that's why we enjoyed doing the 80s is we didn't have to stick with a certain type of people. Mm-hmm. Oh, these are all singers or these are all yeah. models or whatever. And of course, my other idea was have like international people. Mm-hmm. So not famous in America, but abroad. But then that would... Look- no, that is the point. <laughs> It's no, all about they will learning. Enjoy, they will enjoy learning. And finding out about people you did not know, just like how much influence they've had yeah. in the world. And so, guys, we will be back in mid-January, we think. That's our tentative return date mm-hmm. at this time. But we may give you a surprise episode or two during the holidays this year. So just keep those notifications on. And in the meantime, go out and be the icons the world needs.